from the University of Texas at Austin, KUT Radio, this is In Black America. In the days of Jesus, it came to be known as the bloody pass. You know it's possible that the priest and the Levite looked over that man on the ground and wondered if the robbers were still around. Or it's possible that they felt that the man on the ground was merely faking. And he was acting like he had been robbed and hurt in order to seize them over there, lure them there for quick and easy seizure. And so the first question that the priest asked, the first question that the Levite asked was, if I stop to help this man, what will happen to me? But then the Good Samaritan came by and he reversed the question. If I do not stop to help this man, what will happen to him? That's the question before you tonight. Not if I stop to help the sanitation workers, what will happen to my job? Not if I stop to help the sanitation workers, what will happen to all of the hours that I usually spend in my office every day and every week as a pastor? The question is not if I stop to help this man in need, what will happen to me? The question is, if I do not stop to help the sanitation workers, what will happen to them? That's the question. The late Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. would have been 89 this year had he lived out his dream for racial equality in this country. He was a man who walked among the oppressed and poor, a man who questioned unfair laws and went to jail rather than submit to them. King was a passionate fighter for civil rights, and although he died by violence, his life and teachings were dedicated to a deep disrespect for violence and its consequences. He won a Nobel Prize for Peace. His lectures and dialogues stirred the conscience of the nation. In November 1983, legislation was signed creating Martin Luther King Jr. Day, making it only the third national holiday born in the 20th century. In fall 1991, the National Civil Rights Museum at the Lorraine Motel in Memphis, Tennessee, where he was assassinated, was dedicated to his remembrance. On October 16, 2011, the MLK Memorial was dedicated on the National Mall. I'm Johnny O'Hanson, Jr., and welcome to another edition of In Black America. On this week's program, a tribute to the late Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr., In Black America. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. is considered by many as the father of the civil rights movement. Born on Tuesday, January 15, 1929 at the family home in Atlanta, Georgia, 
He was christened Michael Luther King, but in 1934, Daddy King changed his name after young Martin experienced racial prejudice. In 1944, at the age of 15, he graduated high school and entered Morehouse College in Atlanta with intentions of becoming a medical doctor, but changed his mind in his junior year. In April 1948, King received his bachelor's degree in sociology and entered Crozier Theological Seminary in Chester, Pennsylvania. In May 1951, he graduated with a bachelor's divinity degree and as valedictorian and student body president. In 1955, he earned his doctorate in systematic theology from Boston University. In spring 1963, King nonviolent tactics were put to the most severe test in Birmingham, Alabama. During a mass protest of fair hiring practices and the desegregation of department stores, police brutality used against the marchers dramatized the plight of African Americans to the nation at large with enormous impact. King and others were arrested, but his voice was not silenced. While in his cell, he read a published statement by eight Alabama clergymen that criticized his activities untimely and unwise. On the margins of the newspaper, he composed a classic reply letter from a Birmingham jail to refute his critics. In your statement, you assert that our actions, even though peaceful, must be condemned because they precipitate violence. But is this a logical assertion? Isn't this like condemning a robbed man because his possession of money precipitated the evil act of robbery? Isn't this like condemning Socrates because his unswerving commitment to truth and his philosophical inquiries precipitated the act by the misguided populace in which they made him drink hemlock? Isn't this like condemning Jesus because his unique God consciousness and never ceasing devotion to God's will precipitated the evil act of crucifixion? More and more, I feel that the people of ill will have used time much more effectively than have the people of goodwill. We will have to repent in this generation, not merely for the hateful words and actions of the bad people, but for the appalling silence of the good people. Now is the time to make real the promise of democracy and transform our pending national elegy into a creative psalm of brotherhood. Now is the time to lift our national policy from the quicksand of racial injustice to the solid rock of human dignity. I have no fear about the outcome of our struggle in Birmingham. Even if our motives are at present misunderstood, we will reach the goal of freedom in Birmingham and all over the nation because the goal of America is freedom. Abused and scorned though we may be, our destiny is tied up with America's destiny. Before the pilgrims landed at Plymouth, we were here. Before the pen of Jefferson etched the majestic words of the Declaration of Independence across the pages of history, we were here. For more than two centuries, our forebears labored in this country without wages. They made cotton king. They built the homes of their masters while suffering gross injustice and shameful humiliation. And yet out of a bottomless vitality, they continue to thrive and develop. 
If the inexpressible cruelties of slavery could not stop us, the opposition we now face will surely fail. We will win our freedom because the sacred heritage of our nation and the eternal will of the almighty God are embodied in our echoing demands. Never before have I written so long a letter. I'm afraid it is much too long to take your precious time. I can assure you that it would have been much shorter if I had been writing from a comfortable desk. But what else can one do when he is alone in a narrow jail cell other than write long letters, think long thoughts, and pray long prayers? If I have said anything in this letter that overstates the truth and indicates an unreasonable impatience, I beg you to forgive me. If I have said anything that understates the truth and indicates my having a patience that allows me to settle for anything less than brotherhood, I beg God to forgive me. I hope this letter finds you strong in the faith. I also hope that circumstances will soon make it possible for me to meet each of you, not as an integrationist or as a civil rights leader, but as a fellow clergyman and a Christian brother. Let us all hope that the dark clouds of racial prejudice will soon pass away and the deep fog of misunderstanding will be lifted from our fear-drenched communities. And in some not-too-distant tomorrow, the radiant stars of love and brotherhood will shine over our great nation with all their scintillating beauty. Yours for the cause of peace and brotherhood, Martin Luther King, Jr. In 1957 in New Orleans, seeking to build upon the success of the Montgomery boycott with the hope of upgrading the status of Southern blacks and America's poor, King summoned together a number of African-American leaders to lay the foundation for the organization now known as the Southern Christian Leadership Conference, SCLC. King was elected as first president, and he soon began helping other communities organize their own protests against discrimination. The Honorable Andrew Young, former mayor of Atlanta and U.S. ambassador, was one of King's most trusted advisors. Looking back on it, we think of those as the best days of our lives. Actually, at the time, it was, uh, I mean, we really didn't know what we were doing. We knew things were wrong and that somebody had to do something about it. And we just stumbled along from one thing to the other till we found a way to make it work. And uh, fortunately, most of us had read a lot about India. And we understood some of the nonviolent methods of Gandhi. And we just experimented until we found out how to organize people. Nobody was trained as an organizer. We knew the black community. We knew the cities that we were working in fairly well. And uh, we learned gradually over a period of time how to get things done. What type of impact did the late Dr. Martin Luther King have on you at that time? Well, Martin was an amazing young man. He had been sort of thrust in the leadership he never really wanted it, and yet he couldn't get away from it. And he was essentially trying to do something for other people. That kind of dedication and the sort of things that he said matter-of-factly, if a person hadn't found something that they're willing to die for, they're probably not fit to live anyway. 
you know, somebody dropped that on you in a joking kind of friendly conversation, it makes you think, you know, what is it that I'm willing to die for? And you begin to, to think about your life and think about other people in a new way. I mean, he was amazing that all of the things that he did, and he never lived to be 40 years old. And yet in the midst of it all, he was still privately a very easygoing, a friendly, joking, clowning, you know, lovable guy. In 1953, King completed his doctorate and was granted a degree two years later upon completion of his dissertation. Married at the time, he returned to the South to become pastor of Dexter Avenue Baptist Church in Montgomery, Alabama. There, he made his first mark on the civil rights movement. King's plight for justice and equal rights began on December 5, 1955. Five days after the late Rosa Parks refused to obey the city rules, mandating segregation on buses. In 1956, at the boycott continued, King gained national promise as a result of exceptional speaking skills and personal courage. Although increasingly portrayed as the preeminent black spokesperson, King did not mobilize mass protest activities during the first five years after the Montgomery bus boycott had ended. On August 28, 1963, King led a massive march on Washington, D.C. and delivered one of the most passionate addresses of his career. Even the state of Mississippi, a state sweltering with the heat of injustice, sweltering with the heat of oppression, will be transformed into an oasis of freedom and justice. I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. I have a dream today. I have a dream that one day down in Alabama with its vicious racists, with its governor having his lips dripping with the words of interposition and nullification. One day right there in Alabama, little black boys and black girls will be able to join hands with little white boys and white girls as sisters and brothers. I have a dream today. I have a dream that one day every valley shall be exalted. And every hill and mountain shall be made low. The rough places will be made plain. And the crooked places will be made straight. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. And all flesh shall see it together. This is our hope. This is a faith that I go back to the South with. With this faith. We will be able to hew out of the mountain of despair a stone of hope. With this faith, we will be able to transform the jangling discords of our nation into a beautiful symphony of brotherhood. With this faith, we will be able to work together, to pray together, to struggle together, to go to jail together, to stand up for freedom together, knowing that we will be free one day. This will be the day, this will be the day when all of God's children will be able to sing with new meaning, my country tears of thee. 
Sweet land of liberty of thee I sing. Land where my fathers died, land of the pilgrim's pride. From every mountainside, let freedom ring. And if America is to be a great nation, this must become true. And so let freedom ring. From the prodigious hilltops of New Hampshire, let freedom ring. From the mighty mountains of New York, let freedom ring from the heightening Alleghenies of Pennsylvania. Let freedom ring from the snow-capped Rockies of Colorado. Let freedom ring from the curvaceous slopes of California. But not only that, let freedom ring from Stone Mountain of Georgia. Let freedom ring from Lookout Mountain of Tennessee. Let freedom ring from every hill and mole hill of Mississippi, from every mountainside. Let freedom ring, and when this happens, and when we allow freedom ring, when we let it ring from every village and every hamlet, from every state and every city, we will be able to speed up that day when all of God's children, black men and white men, Jews and Gentiles, Protestants and Catholics, will be able to join hands and sing in the words of the old Negro spiritual, free at last, free at last, thank God Almighty, we are free at last. In 1963, Time magazine named King its Person of the Year. A few months later, in December 1964, he was recipient of the Nobel Peace Prize. After his return from Norway, King took to a new challenge. In Selma, Alabama, he led a voter registration campaign that ended in the Samuel Montgomery Freedom March. King brought his crusade to Chicago, where he started programs to rehabilitate the slums and provide housing. In April 1968, King lent support to the Memphis sanitation workers. He wanted to discourage violence and wanted to focus national attention on the plight of the poor and unorganized workers of the city. The men were bargaining for basic union representation and long overdue raises. The strike became the new testing ground for the new direction the Poor People's Campaign was taking, which merged civil rights issues with economic concerns. On the eve of assassination, it was King and XLC's second attempt at a nonviolent protest march. I just want to do God's will. And he's allowed me to go up to the mountain. And I've looked over. And I've seen the promised land. I may not get there with you, but I want you to know tonight that we as a people will get to the promised land. So I'm happy tonight. I'm not worried about anything. I'm not fearing any man. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. Civil rights leader Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was shot in the head and is now in critical condition in a Memphis, Tennessee hospital. The latest reports from Memphis say Dr. King was hit by gunfire while standing on the balcony of his hotel room just before 7 o'clock Eastern Standard Time. The bullet exploded in his face. He was standing at an acute angle and the bullet knocked him up off of his feet in that direction against that ledger over there. 
You couldn't tell it was a shot until it hit his face. It sounded like a, a stick of dynamite or a large firecracker. Police say a man wearing a dark suit dropped the weapon about a block from the shooting scene and jumped into a late model white car. Ladies and gentlemen, may I have your attention, please? At 7.10 this evening, Martin Luther King was shot in Tennessee. Martin Luther King, 20 minutes ago, died. For those of you who are black and are tempted to fill with, be filled with hatred and distrust of the injustice of such an act against all white people, I would only say that I can also feel in my own heart the same kind of feeling. I had a member of my family killed, but he was killed by a white man. to the ground. No coffin, no crypt, nor vault, no stone can hold his greatness, but we commit his body to the ground. On Sunday, October 16, 2011, some 10,000 spectators and dignitaries gathered on the National Mall for the dedication of a memorial for Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr. Among the speakers were who's who of civil rights leaders, King's children, as well as President Obama. President Obama urged the nation that day to celebrate the dedication of the memorial by continuing to press for the goals and hopes of a black preacher with no official rank or title, who somehow gave voice to our deepest dreams and helped make the nation more perfect. An earthquake and a hurricane may have delayed this day, but this is a day that would not be denied. For this day, we celebrate Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s return to the National Mall. His life, his story tells us that change can come if you don't give up. He would not give up no matter how long it took because in the smallest hamlets and the darkest slums, he had witnessed the highest reaches of the human spirit. Because in those moments when the struggle seemed most hopeless, he had seen men and women and children conquer their fear. Because he had seen hills and mountains made low, and rough places made plain, and the crooked places made straight, and God make a way out of no way. That is why we honor this man, because he had faith in us. And that is why he belongs on this mall, because he saw what we might become. That is why Dr. King was so quintessentially American, because for all the hardships we've endured, for all our sometimes tragic history, ours is a story of optimism and achievement and constant striving that is unique upon this earth. And that is why the rest of the world still looks to us to lead. This is a country where ordinary people find in their hearts the courage to do extraordinary things, the courage to stand up in the face of the fiercest resistance and despair and say, this is wrong and this is right, 
we will not settle for what the cynics tell us we have to accept. And we will reach again and again, no matter the odds, for what we know is possible. That is the conviction we must carry now in our hearts. As tough as times may be, I know we will overcome. I know there are better days ahead. I know this because of the man towering over us. I know this because all he and his generation endured. We are here today in a country that dedicated a monument to that legacy. And so with our eyes on the horizon and our faith squarely placed in one another, let us keep striving. Let us keep struggling. Let us keep climbing toward that promised land of a nation and a world that is more fair and more just and more equal for every single child of God. Thank you, God bless you, and God bless the United States of America. In December 1991, the National Civil Rights Museum at the Lorraine Motel was dedicated. The museum traces the history of the civil rights movement from its beginning to the present. The museum was built around the motel where King stayed while in Memphis. His room and that of his aides have been kept as they were that fateful evening in April 1968. Dr. King had been in Memphis uh, prior to the assassination and prior to the uh, uh, coming in March for the, for the march that uh, broke out in violence. He'd come here before and he'd stayed at the Lorraine and this was the room that he'd usually stay in. It's a nice room, a nice uh, king-size bed. Even for that time, you know, that would have been nice. So he stayed here and we have kept the original furniture that was in the room at the time and it's been redone to look as it uh, did in 1968. But this is where he was the night of the assassination. That's room 307. Now across here is room 306. And this is the room that was being occupied by some of Dr. King's aides with, mm -hmm. the, double, with the two beds in here. Uh, but this is the room that he walked out of uh, just prior to being shot. Uh, he had been in here with Reverend Abernathy and some others, and they were, as you can see, having some food. There's some catfish on the plate over there and dishes and the glasses and milk and the like. And this room has been recreated to appear as it did on the evening of the assassination. And again, the furniture in the room is all the furniture that was here at the time. One other thing that I like about this room, as the visitor stands in here and reflects and reads these display lines, you also hear, and they light up, you know, when it acts up, you also hear Mahalia Jackson softly singing Precious Lord. His and that was song. Dr. King's favorite song. So it's just, it brings tears to your eyes when it, when it all is operating. You know? I was just so struck by uh, that last little line there, I just with them putting the casket on the plane there, that just tells it all. Somebody said, and it's just some ordinary person, I said, we, we really lost somebody, didn't we? Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was 39 at the time of his death. He was shot while standing on the balcony of the Rain Motel in Memphis, Tennessee. This has been a tribute to the late Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., who would have been 89 this week. If you have questions, comments, or suggestions, ask your future In Black America programs, email us at inblackamerica at kut.org. 
Also, let us know what radio station you heard us over. Remember to like us on Facebook and to follow us on Twitter. The views and opinions expressed on this program are not necessarily those of this station or of the University of Texas at Austin. You can hear previous programs online at KUT.org. Until we have the opportunity again for technical producer David Alvarez, I'm John L. Hansen, Jr. Thank you for joining us today. Please join us again next week. CD copies of this program are available and may be purchased by writing In Black America CDs, KUT Radio, 1 University Station, Austin, Texas, 78712. That's In Black America CDs, KUT Radio, 1 University Station, Austin, Texas, 78712. This has been a production of KUT Radio.